This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined, as always, by Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. Hanging in there. Looking forward to another mailbag Friday as uh, we kickstart the weekend. Yeah, and no better place to kickstart the weekend than the Butcher's Pub with two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. I want to make sure I throw in their advertisement here early where they just reopened this week, Derek. I know they're excited to be back out there. I I told you earlier this week that they extended their hours even through the weekdays Mm -hmm. to midnight uh, so they could accommodate, you know, more people and, uh, you know, do better with social distancing and everything and all the guidelines that are in place. So you can visit thebutcherspub.com, and I recommend following their Facebook pages. There's one for the Pondville location, and there's one for the Williamsburg location that sends out everything that's going on at both locations. So if they have one thing going on at Pondville, they may have something different going on in Williamsburg. So uh, follow both those pages or visit thebutcherspub.com. But, Derek, this is Mailbag Friday. It's not Mailbag Saturday this time. We're actually getting to do this on Friday. Uh, We don't have as many questions. Uh, Obviously... Last week was a busy week with the changes with the offensive coordinator position and everything like that. So there was a it was a deeper mailbag, but there's still some really solid questions. So let's start with Trey. He says, "Do either of you think there's any other reason, any reason whatsoever, to ever, and I mean ever, take Sar or Mintz out of the game besides foul trouble or them asking to come out when they need a rest? Can you tell I'm frustrated with this specifically?" Yeah, I can tell, Trey. <laughs> I can tell you're frustrated. <laughs> uh, Derek, I'll let you start, and then I'll uh, I'll chime in. Well, you know, certainly for Sar, he's about the only guy on the team right now you can have full confidence in that if you get him the ball in the paint, there's a pretty good chance it's going to end in a bucket. No one else in the post provides that for you. Uh, so, yes, if he's not in foul trouble, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him play 34, 35 minutes a night. Maybe get a quick breather here and there. With Mintz, um, Sean, I kind of feel like with Mintz, a lot of it's if you can get some other guys to come around, then I think maybe he's certainly a big part of this team right now. I think you got to expect at a certain point maybe <laughs> B.J. Boston's going to be better. So in the event that when Keon comes back, whenever that may be, I could see a lineup of, of just Terrence and Terrence and BJ and Keon and the two bigs with Jackson and Sar, uh, I could see that being a possibility. But for the way the team's structured right now, yeah, when I'm talking about Sar's minutes, I would say Mince's will be right around the same same amount. Mince is definitely one of their better players right now. 
He's one of their more efficient players when it comes to – he is their most efficient when it comes to assist to turnover. I think he has 15 assists and nine turnovers. Uh, the only other player, if I'm not mistaken, Derek, with a higher assist to turnover ratio is Cameron Fletcher. I think it's 3-2, to two, if I'm not mistaken, on the season stats. So right now he has to play. I was surprised the other day when he wasn't on the floor for the final possession against Notre Dame. That that actually surprised me because I felt like that Mintz was the guy that kind of helped get him to that point with some big-time you know baskets. Uh, had the and one there in the final minute and a half. He had another one in transition. But I'm I'm with you, though, on Saar. Saar's the one guy that I think right now that kind of has to be on the floor. Uh, I would go Terrence Clark being another one. I think that those are two guys that they have to have on the floor right now when they're playing their best basketball. But I could see a point, though, where Davion Mintz if Davion Mintz is their third or fourth best player, when it gets to February, March, this team's not going to be very good. I agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, maybe there's a question asking this, but as a quick aside, what did you think about Cal yesterday? More or less saying Clark's the point guard and Askew's going to back him up. And Mintz, too, I guess, I assume was the. I think that it's the best thing for this team right now. I think that that's how they have the most success right now is with Terrence Clark playing point. I think that uh, Davion Mintz is better suited off the ball. Same thing with Devin Askew. I don't I don't think Devin Askew, honestly, Derek, I don't know if he'll ever be a point guard. I just didn't see – there's not enough in his high school mixtape and stuff that you look in his high school videotapes to see a point guard. And then so far what we had at Kentucky prior to this switch, there wasn't anything there either. He wasn't – he's not explosive enough to blow by guys. He – his best impact on this team will be shooting the ball. He has a slow release, though, so I, it's gonna have, he has to have a lot of space to get a shot off and guarding the ball. I feel like he done a very good job Saturday guarding the basketball and playing defense. I, I think that those are the two ways that he impacts this team. So I, I, I don't think it was a shock that Cal come out and said that yesterday, that I think Terrence Clark will play. Terrence Clark's going to play if, without foul trouble. He's going to play 35, 36 minutes a game. He'll lead the team in minutes at the end of the year. He will. It's the. It's going to be. The, it's we're going to have to see some more with the Tyreek Evans stuff because that's obviously the one that's going to be compared to because that's the same move that Cal made for that Memphis team that started out struggling. Obviously, this is a one and four Kentucky team with a lot of young faces on it. It's going to take more than Clark, but I think that that might be the piece and the spot to build around if they want to get something going in the right direction. Uh, let's move on to another question. This comes from Brandon. Do you think UK should push for Sky Clark to reclass? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's, even with the new rule, I don't. I don't think Mintz plans to come back. Um, although I guess it's not really been questioned, but he's already a fifth-year guy anyway. I would assume he'll. Uh, He'll move on. And then you got Hickman coming in. Uh, at this point, I think you'd expect Askew to be back. So, who am I forgetting, Sean? Uh, in the backcourt? That's, that's it, right? That's I'm just it. For, point, for point guard, that, yeah. That's the only name that I would expect back in the backcourt would be, would be Devin Askew at this point. I will say this, too, though, Derek, that Scott Clark – would play 20 to 25 minutes on this Kentucky team right now. I really think yeah. he would. 
So I would push. Now, if you can go out and you can get one of your top 10 targets or top 15 targets, like if you get Hunter Salas, Devin Askew's back, and you see that you have enough, then I would keep him in 22. But if it's obviously a nice luxury to have that you can push for him to reclass to 21. I would say that you push it because I don't I don't think Sky Clark – Devin Askew, there's an argument that he needed another year of high school basketball, what, what you've watched for the first five games. I don't think you make that argument with Sky Clark. I think Sky Clark's ready for college basketball next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, probably labeled as a little bit better scorer as well than Devin was coming out of high school. I think he's just kind of someone you expect to be able to get his own shot and, and be able to play pretty well. But We'll see. I mean, with Askew, the slow start, I'm sure it's going to knock him down on some draft boards. I mean, there were a couple of uh, – it was either SI or SB Nation. One of those two had asked you like 24th coming into the season. So I don't kind of know where he sits on team draft boards right now. And I've been trying to cut back on the NBA talk because I'm sure people don't care about it right now when the team's one and four. But uh, at Kentucky, it's something you've always got to think about whenever you're, you're discussing next year's team. And for a question like that with Scott coming in, yeah, I don't. I just don't see any point for Scott if he's that good to stay in high school. I know his family connections. We've talked about it numerous times on this podcast. But for his sake, it seems like it would be more beneficial to him. Even if he has a struggle early on trying to get adjusted, I mean, if you have to stay two years and you're a reclass kid, you're really not having to stay much longer anyway because if you had just stayed in high school, it's still the same year you'd be coming out regardless. So I kind of get the logic why Kentucky does that, but – uh. I guess we should see how this season plays out. Do you think there's any chance Mintz wants to come back or would be welcomed back? It's just such a weird role that I don't feel like Kentucky's really going to have anybody utilize, but I'm sure other schools will. With him losing a full year, uh, he didn't even play last season. This obviously is a season there was some rust to shake off with him. I still don't think that he's playing the best basketball that he can. Uh, He's a capable player, Derek. If if Davion Mintz comes to Cal and says, I'd love to have another year, why would you turn it away? I think you'd have to take it, right? Well, how would that play into your decision with Sky? So we're we're factoring in Devin Askew coming back. Let's say it's going to be Askew, Hickman, and Mets or guys you could have back next year. And then you add Hunter Salas. Let's say they get Salas. It would change. I mean, I think I think you would rather have Sky, just because I think Sky would be the Sky has the top potential to be to be a leader and stuff when it comes to, you know, scoring 15 points a game and being an instant impact and being a, an impact player. But there's also the experience factor there. I don't – that's a tough one because they're – Yeah, that's just hypothetical too. It is. It is. Uh, we'll have to, okay. It's one of those things that we'll have to address whenever we get to that point in the season. Uh, next question comes from Luka Doncic and not the, the real Luka. It's, <laughs> it's a big-time fan account though, but he says, are you like me? Positive about this team, but negative about the overall direction of the basketball program regarding the same problems year after year. Youth, shooting, losing guys who have no business leaving, transfers, etc. Derek, I think any person that follows Kentucky basketball, whether it be a fan, media, or anyone who even understands Kentucky basketball and puts any type of their daily life around it, would be lying if they said they're not concerned. Just because... Here's the difference. When you look at the way Cal's tenure has gone at Kentucky, the last half of this thing has been missing a Final Four. 
So this whole cycle's been going on, and they've not gotten to where they were getting the first five years. When you're doing what you're doing the first five years, it was okay to have all this turnover and all this stuff. Right now, it's kind of hard to uh, think that they're going to be good enough to win a title. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, when you look at the last five, six years, there were two teams in particular. Um, This is post-2015 I'm talking about. 2017 with Fox, Monk, that team was good enough to win a title, and then – I still think the Hagans, Hero, Washington, all those guys, that was a team good enough to uh, win a title as well. And then you've had a few other years where they finished the regular season strong, so you kind of thought there was a chance, but then they got knocked out in the second round by Indiana. And then up, I think they were favored against Kansas State. I mean, if you beat Kansas State, you're playing Loyola for a chance to, for a team that actually wasn't really that good, for a chance to make the Final Four, which maybe could have gotten some heat off of him. But, Going to his question, yeah, I think this is going to be a big year, Sean, for the direction of the program because – and it's still just December, so maybe February 18th when I'm talking on this podcast I'll have a different view. But as we sit here today, they're outside of – and I'm just assuming Boston just because he's in that range where people had him as high as number two preseason. So I feel like you can still pencil him as as a guy who's going to leave. Also, Clark and Jackson. Uh, that would be my guess on those three. So you, you assume you're going to lose Star and Mintz regardless because they're seniors, even with the uh, rule change. You still count them out. If that's the case and no one transfers, you have, what, half of your scholarship guys back next year? Yeah. Mintz, or not Mintz, sorry, ask you. Uh, Allen, Fletcher, Ware, um, who am I forgetting? A few other guys. Toppin. Probably good. And Toppin's another guy, yeah. So you'll have, like, it won't be like this year where you're going to start, and Brooks, too, throwing him in there, assuming he comes back. So it shouldn't be like this season where you have a totally new team. So I think that's kind of the thing. But can you you hold guys for more than two years? Because we've seen some guys stay here two years and then leave. Uh, Certainly guys like P.J. Washington who deserve to go. I mean, played very well in the NBA. But you've also had guys who, you know, Hagen's Montgomery guys who pop into mind who, you know, they sign with teams. I think Hagen's is so far he's still with the Timberwolves, but they're guys who weren't can't miss NBA type players. Can you get those guys to ever stick around here? That's where that becomes a question, I think. And uh, it's a, it's going to be a start next year at least if you get to four or five. And that's probably what I would tell fans. I'm on if you're a fan who thinks that it's not really sustainable the way they're going, I would I would agree with you. At the same time, and maybe I need to keep this in mind for myself as well, like if they are coming back, it's typically because they're not really good enough to leave right now, so you're going to see some struggles. And I, I feel like guys like Hopkins and Hickman in the next classes, I mean, you never know when a kid's going to blow up and just be able to leave. But, like, I think they enter this program with the thought that they're not one and done. At least that's how I see them coming in. So maybe you start building. That's the point I'm trying to make is maybe you're starting to see the change now, but it might not be very pretty getting to that point. Well, and it's happening It's happening right now, and that, that's a good point. If if you want the one and done to go away and you want Kentucky to be more of a balanced program that still includes the one and done, then this is kind of the year you have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, when you're – now, I'm surprised that they're one and four because I feel like if this team had played – to the level of their potential against Georgia Tech, and then if they played the entire 40 minutes like they did the final 20, they should at worst be 3-2. and two. Uh, Derek, this is a team that had a chance to win a game against Kansas. 
and look what Kansas is doing right now. Kansas is, Kansas beat Texas Tech last night. Obviously, Kansas isn't a bad basketball team. So I, I still don't know what to make of this Kentucky team. Will we know what to make of them two or three weeks from now? I still I don't know because I have a feeling we're going to have some ups and then I, there's going to still be some downs. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, I would say he could really – I'll say he, Calipari, the whole team, they could really help themselves out <laughs> beating North Carolina and Louisville. If you do that, you'll get people back on the train going into SEC play. Well, You yeah. lose both those games, Sean? Woo! Well, you know. Sitting at one and six, that would be ugly. This is different than two years ago. But when they got destroyed by Duke and then lost to Seton Hall, they beat North Carolina and Louisville back-to-back a week apart. And then mm-hmm. before the Citrus Bowl, before we all went to Orlando and covered that, and I remember tweeting, Kentucky fans don't even technically, re- they're not even remembering the Duke loss now because it's just a completely different team. With those two games, if they win them the next two weeks, what does it do? Because this has been a pretty bad start. I mean, it would definitely help. But it, I, yeah, I but if you're still if you're still talking resume, like those Georgia Tech and Notre Dame losses aren't going to be very good at the end of the year. Like Kansas will be okay, and I even think Richmond might be. Like Richmond losses shouldn't kill you, but I mean Notre Dame got handled pretty easily on their home floor, uh, without Duke's best player there. So we'll see how they end up. I don't think they're going to be very good, but. I think this. I think more than anything right now, and I know this is UK basketball we're talking about, but like I honestly think they just like need something to feel good about, and winning those two games would for sure help you. What's North Carolina ranked? Are, are they top ten or top fifteen? That's a good question. I haven't spent much time prep. I've been pretty much all on football duty the last few days, yeah. signing day and Wolford stuff. So I'll someone else covered basketball for us yesterday. I'll pull that up when but, we do our preview episode and everything. But, I mean, and for the fans who really, really, really care, and I, I don't, but for the fans who really, really care about beating Louisville, like, I guess it would be kind of funny if <laughs> this year that Louisville's way better and this is Kentucky's worst team in a while. If Kentucky still beat them, they'd probably start to feel a little bit cursed. So I will say this. Is there a scenario where like all the pressure somehow is on Louisville if Kentucky's one and five going into that game and Louisville's it has like, to be right? Max never. You would think. I mean, obviously there's gonna be some pressure on Kentucky because if you start one and six, like I don't even know if you're gonna make the tournament at that point. I mean, it's be really tough, probably. Well, that's what but, I was about to say. If they don't win, if they don't win tomorrow, I think that they're they're on the wrong side of getting into the NCAA tournament. That's crazy, isn't it? Six games, basically. It is, your, but their resume's so bad. And I still think that they're going to lose quite a few. I think they're going to lose at least five to six games in SEC play. Given off of what yeah. we've seen so far, they may lose more than that. But right now, I don't know. There's there's a lot of games coming up, Derek, that could really tell the tale of if this team is bad or not. For sure. Yeah. And, I mean, they, they start league play with South Carolina, and then they play at Mississippi State. Mississippi State's the only team in the SEC that has not beaten John Calipari in his time at Kentucky. If they lose <laughs> one, then I just think that that's one of the things that you look at and go, okay, this team might not be very good. So, Which leads me into our next mailbag question, and I thought this was a really good question. It comes from Cameron Maxwell. I got this via DM last night. He said, this team supposedly barely missed on Cade Cunningham. If he were at UK, how much of an impact do you think he'd have on the early struggles? It's, well, it's, hard, to, it's hard to put an answer on that. Well, what's been the biggest problem for Kentucky to this point? I mean, positionally, it's been point guard. It is. They're already five, six games in. They're already making a change. Five games in, I guess. Well, it's be the sixth game. 
already making a change, a point guard to a guy who was coming in to be a wing. So Cade's been very good at Oklahoma State. Uh, yeah, Sean, if you had a lineup of Cade Cunningham, B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, and then the two bigs, like, and yeah, I mean, he would have been a huge difference, especially like, yeah, he would help the early start, but you think about that kid's on look like a March under Cal. Yeah. A typical point guard. He would have been the first really, really, really elite guard in a while. They would have beaten. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge loss beaten, not getting him. They would have beaten Richmond and Kansas. Yeah. Like, I'm oh, just certainly would have beaten Notre Dame. Or, uh, yeah, they would have beaten Notre Dame. Georgia, and, uh, Georgia Tech was just such a bad game from energy standpoint that I don't even know if one single person would have changed it. They were they were terrible. I'm not my tongue on that. But well, what do you want? Yeah, to let's say? not worry about it. No, let's not worry about it. I, it's just yeah, the energy was bad. It was uh, it's a bad loss. I mean, that was a bad team they played on there and they got crushed. But uh, moving on from it, I mean, they're back home. They don't have. Shouldn't have any more games like that. I'm sure they'll fly everywhere else from here on out. So, you, you in don't that regard, you don't think, don't think there'll be more bus rides. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll be refreshed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'll bust Louisville, but that's fine. It's just right down the road. But uh, is that game going to be – is is that going to be their worst loss, you think, going in terms of non-conference? I mean, obviously, if you lose North Carolina and Louisville, like, those aren't bad losses. I, I just think Georgia Tech's not a good team at all, and – Notre Dame's like Notre Dame. I could see them getting hot some nights. Notre Dame and beating some teams just because they shoot it, they'd be kind of streaky. But I'm gonna guess those teams do finish right around where they were picked preseason, like 11, 12, that kind of range. Let's uh, a good league. Can I can I throw this out there before we go into another mailbag question? What would the reaction be like right right now around Kentucky basketball if they hadn't have completed that comeback at Florida to end the season last year at March? Because that would have had a home loss to Tennessee, an absolute dog stomping at the hands of Florida. And then this one and four start. I mean, geez, you're talking you're talking some bad PR around your basketball program when it comes to on court. Well, how many people really bought in to Cal saying that he thought that was going to be one of the fan base's favorite teams? I think that's just an example where Cal's full of it. Like that team isn't nobody's favorite team last year. Like they were fine. They went twenty six and five. They're a fine team, but like terms of fan favorites like no they i weren't anywhere near this, that though, the more i watch emmanuel quickly and what he you know how he's got off to his start in the nba saw tyrese maxey making plays in the fourth quarter the other night i actually think that that team would have made a run i don't think that they would have won to it the sweet 16 i think they i think they made a run to the elite eight or final four i really do i think that they had the pieces to do it um do i think they win it no but I think that they, I think they would at least made a run. I don't think it would have been the favorite team though, by any, by any means. I don't think that that's even in the discussion. But I think they had enough to make a run. We don't even know I mean, what the bracket would have looked like, really. No, we, yeah, it's all hypothetical. I, they were, they were fine, man. Like they were a fine team. I just don't. I'm not going to buy into that though. Well, the only thing, were, the only thing I throw out is who were who was dominant last year. Like who was just the, the the teams that you looked at and said, yeah, they can't beat them. There weren't many. No, there weren't. But I mean, this is a team that stayed in Ken Palm's like in the 30s the whole year. I put a lot of stock into that, and they weren't really considered to be that great of a team by Ken Palm. The Hagen's was Hagen's coming back? Are we just trying to ignore that? Like was Hagen's gonna be able to play in the SEC tournament or? 
was he going to cut down on his bench and not play Johnny Juzang and Keon Brooks and things got tight? Like, you just don't know some of the things that Cal is going to do. I mean, just as easy as it is to say they could have made a run, you could also say they would have got upset in the first round. I mean, we'll just never know. But to your point in terms of, like, perception, like, did that first half when they were playing Tennessee last year, I might have been on board with you on that. I mean, like, damn, these guys are playing really well. And I do think, like, to me the biggest, like, what I would have liked to have seen last year was, like, Keon going forward in the SEC yeah. tournament. Like, he was playing really well. And now we've not even seen him since then. So, like, well, that's, that's been the whole uh, – That's the other side of this. Like, we don't really know what they're getting in Keon if he, when he returns to the floor right now. Like, if, Yeah, and if we're just playing hypotheticals, does does Johnny get hot in the tournament? Does he feel good enough to come back next year? Because he, he played well at Florida from what I remember. Couldn't, def- couldn't defend, but that's all right. I mean, he was shooting the ball pretty well, so – there were maybe maybe that decision was already made. Who knows? But we've seen before though the tournament, how you end the season can really kind of last with you. It can if you play well, it can kind of make you feel better about how everything went. And maybe he's back this year. Who knows? I, I guess from my my vantage point of it is I'm disappointed that they didn't get to play it because there were a lot of dudes on that team that were likable guys that I thought deserved their chance to make a run. Like I Nathan, do agree with that. Like Emmanuel yeah, Quickly. And that might have been what Cal was getting at with his comment last year, that one of the most like likable teams or favorite teams, just because that team had so many guys on it that kind of like, – let's face it, we didn't see Emmanuel quickly doing what he did last year at any point. None of us thought he was doing that. No. Honestly, we didn't think Nick Richards was going to do what he did. So they're, they're worse. To, to his point, though, like there haven't been many kids or teams come through here I thought people didn't like, though. I agree that like I thought Tyrese was a very nice kid. Quickly, obviously, I mean all of them. I can't Sestina. They were all like they good were. kids. I mean, when I say kids like Nate's really not that much younger than me. I don't think, but um, well, that's even going back to 2013. And you know, people had their frustrations with Archie Goodwin, but honestly, there were guys on that team that the fans loved. Yeah, I mean that's 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 just how it. Is. There's not been a team that really I don't think fans just absolutely despised. Like they've got behind <laughs> every single team. Well, yeah, we'll save this. We'll save that. I want to wait a few more weeks before I say that fans don't like this team. But, uh, man, what a weird year. Your your question's a yeah. basketball question too, right? Because I have a football. My up. So let's do yours okay. first. Yeah, this is a question from AJ. He he sent a question a few weeks ago, and this is a, this is a bit of a long one. I'm going to try to summarize it. Um he does want us to understand he's a big supporter of Coach Cal, and he's really enjoyed the Cal era. He just has some major critiques. So basically his question is he wants to get our opinion on the culture of the culture of Kentucky basketball. He says, it's a little unsettling that arguably the greatest college basketball program of all time has a coach and players that don't embrace college basketball. His question is, when do you think these foundational problems began? Personally, I don't think it's been from recent years' inability to get Zions, the Cade Cunninghams, pay all of Caros, and I don't think it's the Final Four drought post-2015. I honestly think the success of 2019 through 2015 made us not care when Daniel Orton left, Stacey Poole, and Cal Wilcher transferred, and we followed a national title with the NIT loss to Robert Morris while Teague and Lamb were in the D-League. All were symptomatic of a much deeper issue in the Calipari system. Basically, his question is, Calipari's NBA first mentality only found success when guys went against the NBA first mentality. He says he cites Terrence Jones and Daron Lamb in 2012, the Harrison Twins, Dakari Johnson, and Willie Colley-Stein in 2015, and then Gillespie's recruits from 2010 through 12, who I assume he means Darius Miller, DeAndre Liggins. And then he also mentions guys like Derek Willis and uh, Isaiah Briscoe. So that's basically uh, – do you understand that question? Somewhat. So 
the way I interpret this is cut out some of this dead space. Okay, once we send this out. I'm trying to grasp. I, I think I get what he's implying, though, or what he's asking it's, about it. I think it's more or less – sounds like like at the end he's talking talk, talk about like when the teams were really good, it's when they had dudes come back who could have left is the way I kind of yeah. see it. Well, it, let's go back to what you said a moment ago. And you, you mentioned the two teams in the last few years. You mentioned 2017 with Fox and Monk, and you mentioned the team with Ashton Hagen's freshman year. What did they have, Derek? They had a sophomore P.J. Washington that was really, yeah. really good. Uh, 2017 had Isaiah Briscoe, who was a good basketball I mean, That was a very good college basketball player. He wasn't like an NBA-ready person at any point. If he'd have played four years, he wasn't going to be an NBA star. But he was a really good college basketball player to go along with the superstar freshman they had. Same thing with the team with P.J. Washington, Tower Hero. Look at what he's doing right now. Look at what Keldon Johnson did in the NBA bubble last year. Those were really good basketball players with NBA potential. The other teams didn't really – I don't know. Like, that's hard. I'm trying to figure out why. I think he makes a good point. Like, what he's trying to say is Calipari's mentality is to get dudes to the league as quick as possible, but his best college teams have been when guys didn't do that. And I guess he's – you certainly look at 2015 – 2012 for sure. I mean, 2012 you're not winning the time. I mean, Davis was obviously one of the he had one of the best college basketball seasons ever. But Terrence Jones was an absolute monster as a sophomore. Daron Lamb shot 40 something percent from three. Like they're not winning that title without those two guys for they're sure. Not. And Darius Miller coming off the bench. Um, well, they're and so they're, I kind of get what he's saying. Like I, I don't I don't disagree with. That. I just don't know when I can say when well, they began. I mean, I think he kind of makes the point that. that they've always been here. Yeah. And the team before that's not getting to the Final Four without Josh Harrelson, Dar- Darius Miller, and DeAndre Liggins. Like, yeah. like those three guys were really good pieces. Um, I don't know how you fix that. Then you go to 2015 and the Twins and Willie Cauley-Stein and all those pieces that came back. Alex Poitras so, came back the next so year. So 20, 2014 was really the only season. And people, I mean, they didn't have a great regular season, but they made it to the national championship. That's maybe the one example that goes against what he's saying because they had – Basically, everybody in the rotation was a freshman or sophomore, right? I mean, Poitras ended up getting – Poitras was there. Willie. And then everybody else is pretty much freshman, and Willie was a sophomore. So, yeah, I mean, it was – that was a very young team. I don't think they had any kind of upperclassmen help. Did, did Polson, I think, was still on that team. Maybe he played some, that team, some played minutes some. here and there, but not like a huge piece of that. But, yeah, like 2015 is your most prominent example. You get Carly Stein to come back for junior year. You get basically everybody besides James Young and Randall to come back and be sophomores, plus you still got – out, Willie Colley and, and Poitras, so I mean outside of PJ outside of PJ Washington since twenty seventeen. So let's go back to the Fox Monk team. Outside of PJ Washington, who's come back that you've been really excited about and you know that they're going to be very good? I th- I thought Higgins could have been pretty good as a sophomore. I think I mean I think he was somewhat uh but PJ though, you could watch them play Kansas State and think, hey, if this kid comes back for another year, he could be a first team All SEC push for All American type status. And I think he did that a sophomore year. He did. But no, that's a good point. Like, where did it where did it happen though, Derek? Like, what what changed? Um, certainly, like he said, they were losing Kyle Wiltgers, they were losing Stacy Pools, they were losing those players uh, in the Cal. Is it just because they were? And I don't. 
He says he doesn't think it's the inability to get the Zions, but man, how much does that cover up though when you do lose people like that? Same thing we're talking about Kate Cunningham. What's he cover up this year if you have him instead? Well, let's let's of a reclass at point guard. I'll also throw this in there too. When those teams that we're talking about, 2011, they shot the ball very well from three point range. Deron Lamb shot the ball. Darius Miller shot the ball. Brandon Knott shot the ball. You go to 2012, Deron Lamb's still there. Kyle Wilder's on that roster. I mean, they were able to – Darius Miller's on that roster. His bad teams, really, they struggle to shoot from three. And there's been a lot of those lately, Derek. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, 2018, who was their best shooter? Quade Green? <laughs> You know, I can remember Hamadou Diallo, their starting guard. I think, I think he hit the side of the backboard down there in Arkansas. <laughs> Those games, I was down there covering Probably that. Probably more than I mean, once. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, Hero, I mean, his Hero was, I don't think his numbers were that great, were they? I mean, he was considered a shooter, and he had some good games. But I mean, quickly, he's probably been their best guy, right? I mean, how do you the ball. How do you solve this problem, though? I have an idea. I have a theory for how you solve it. Well, let's hear it, because I don't have one. If you want players to stick around longer, you can't let the really good college basketball players out of your state go to Auburn, like a Justin Powell or a kid like that, because that kid would make an impact on this Kentucky team right now and probably not feel rushed to get to the NBA. So, But you, do you think you would have to change up your whole recruiting? Like, Can you sign a Justin Powell with a B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark? Because otherwise, like I said last week, what, what's Powell's incentive to come here if he thinks he's not going to play? But then here's my – And here's he can go to Auburn and play. Here's my other side of that right now. Who's to say that Justin Powell doesn't outperform both those guys when they play head-to-head a couple of times this season from yeah, what we've seen? Uh, I think that's the only way you fix it, though. I think that's the only way you get some stability on your roster is if you go that route and you get those kids, like a Darius Miller who had no intentions of leaving until it was time to leave, Derek. What What is the like perfect recruiting class for Kentucky basketball to get out of this? Because still, you still need top-end talent, I think. So you're certainly not going to turn down five-star kids, but like... You need Anthony Davis and John Wall and Carl Anthony Towns to walk through. So if you're going to get a five-star, it needs to be the number... Like you need... So so what if this team, let's just throw out some hypothetical. Is Kiki Tandy a freshman? I'm trying to think of some guys from Kentucky. Like Tavion Hollinsworth is a guy from Kentucky. Um, I, I'm telling you people listening, it's harder than you think to just think on your feet like this about kids who could be here. But I don't know. I just think for Cal's philosophy, Sean, it's always going to want to get he is. the absolute best player. But here's the thing, too, to that point. If B.J. Boston's going to leave no matter how average or whatever he's going to be this year, then yeah, like what? what like the system works when it works whenever you do have kids, and they don't have to be as good as Anthony Davis was, but they need to like really make an impact through one year that they're here. They need to be really good. They need to help the team win. Like let's just use Fox and Monk as an example. Like they 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 were great their freshman year. They played really well, helped the team. You take that and, and Bam as well. Like the, the 2017 team maybe as close to being as as ideal as you can get nowadays. You had the two Kentucky kids stay four years. You had Isaac Humphreys was a sophomore that year. Uh, Briscoe, we mentioned, was a sophomore. I feel like I'm even forgetting some guys. but That's the other side of this, too, though. Michael Mulder, I mean, he's certainly in the NBA now, and, like, he was a Juco who almost never played, but, like, he was on that team. He was a senior. So maybe the transfer portal can help them get a little bit older, but it seems like since 2017 they've just been so young pretty much every single season. 
Well, and that's the other side of this, too. How much would Isaac Humphreys have helped if he'd come back for a third season? I mean, what we what we got to see against North Carolina in the NCAA tournament that day, that was a player that if he could have built, you know, built on that, like how much would he have helped that next year when Nick Richards struggled? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I, that's, that's why I was, for some reason I was – yeah, there was a year in between there because I was thinking that was reading PJ. But, yeah, for sure, that next year he could have given them a, a veteran presence down low. Uh, anybody else leave that team? I mean, I know we talked about Briscoe, but – well, he, he's another I mean, Bristow no doubt would have helped them, for sure. I mean, that next year. It, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like what it boils down to is the first four to five years of this, it seems like it worked out for all of them. Does that make sense? Yeah. When it comes yeah. to recruits. This second half, these last six years or so, it hasn't worked out for everyone. Like, they've had a lot of guys that – they recruited that like a winning Gabriel who had a lot of upside that everybody looked at. And then it got to, he got to Kentucky and he couldn't dribble. All he turned into was just a catch and shoot guy and just a rebounder that there's been a lot of guys that it just did not work out for a quad eight green. Uh, the list goes on and on that it, it didn't work out and they just didn't live up to what they were. They thought they were getting. I don't know if that now here's the question. Is that Cal's fault or, or what? I mean, it's a hard thing to really crack down on and figure out what's happened. I, I guess just the easiest way for me to put it, and maybe someone would argue against me, but, like, I just cannot imagine a scenario ever where you need to have 10 new players. <laughs> that's sure. that's outrageous, man. That is crazy to where you would have 10 new players, like, come on a, t- on a team that last year that like, we just talked about, they were they were fine. Like, maybe they would have made a run, but it wasn't like you lost John Wall at point guard. It wasn't like you lost – Michael Kidd Gilchrist, a small forward. You know what I mean? Like it was guys who are fringe NBA players. They have really ten new players, and not one of them got, and nobody got drafted in the lottery of the NBA draft. Yeah, ten yeah. New players, and nobody was drafted. Now those years where you lost seven, and six of them got drafted, and four were lottery picks. That's okay. Yeah, but it's it's not okay right now. But that's the thing. We're looking at this roster. How many of these guys are you looking at right now that even next year you think is going to be really good to the to make a significant impact in Kentucky? I have my questions about Lance Ware and Cameron Fletcher and a lot of these guys fitting in. You're ready to talk about football? I just think we're going to keep talking in circles on basketball because I don't know what we're supposed to say to really solve this. AJ yeah. is a Harvard kid. He always he always gets us thinking on his questions. He uh I don't know if we gave you an answer that will satisfy you or not, AJ, but uh, we're going to talk a lot. We appreciate the question for sure. Yeah, like this will be an ongoing thing, I'm sure, the whole season, just depending on how it goes. And then here, this comes from UK Shane. Guys, what do you think about our two new coaches we've got on the football side? Derek, I'll let you take that one. Uh, I actually missed the Liam Cohen Zoom conference the other day, so I didn't even get to really hear him live or, or talk to him. So I'll let you take that. What do you think about Kentucky's two newest coaches? We got to hear from both of them this week. I'll start with uh, Eric Wolford since he was yesterday, the new offensive line coach. Uh, you can tell he's very direct, uh, another Youngstown guy on the staff. I think that's five now, <laughs> counting Stoops. He, uh, he's he been around a lot of places. He, you know, he coached at South Carolina the last four years, but he was also there for a stint under Spurrier. He's been a head coach at the FCS level at Youngstown State, spent some time in the NFL. I think he's going to mesh really well with Liam Cohen. Um, just, just 
and I, I noticed this. I don't know if you saw people who were on Twitter. Like they sent out a lot of 2022, the next class, obviously offers for offensive linemen, and they're they're more of the tall, slender kind of guys who are going to build in. Like you don't see a whole lot of Austin Dotsons being offered right now. They're kind of those thick road graders that they've had, Logan Stenberg, guys like that over the last few years. So I think you're going to be seeing a new era of offensive linemen that are going to be signing. Maybe some. When I say smaller, I just mean in terms of weight, kind of more athletic guys. You know, probably Jagger's a really good example. I know Jagger was a Schlarman recruit, but like Jagger's coming out. I think he weighs like 270, and maybe you can build him up to. You can see you know. the change in what they're wanting to do offensively by the way they recruited yesterday. Yeah. With just the more the more guys that are going to be more agile and stuff with pass pro, pass pro and stuff like that, Derek. That that's that was a big statement, honestly, yesterday to let me know that they're going to change yeah. their approach offensively. Yeah, for sure. And with Liam, like, I, I don't know if there's ever been a time, certainly not since I've been covering it, that someone didn't, like, win the press conference. People are always excited after. But I, I would tell you, if you have an athletic article, to read what uh, Bruce Feldman and Kyle Tucker wrote from The Athletic, it was a very good story to talk about the preparation that Liam had coming into this. He, he had dissected, and I'm not going to share the whole article, but go check it out if you have a subscription. Basically, he, he went, you know, he had a ton of plays or whatever, a playbook that he went through. and he But he went through some Kentucky plays last year, looked at the plays that worked that he thought he could also run, and then also looked at some plays and while they didn't work and kind of read over that to Stoops. And Stoops more or less knew, you know, 50 plays in or so out of the 300 that he was ready to hire him. So he's a very impressive young guy who, uh, I mean, I think people are going to like him. I know he's kind of doing his media rounds right now. He was on KSR this morning or yesterday morning maybe. And uh, I know he's on some other people's podcasts coming up, so maybe we can get him on here. But he is a, a sharp guy and somebody that I think fans are going to like a lot and should be able to. I would be really surprised if they don't have better passing concepts next year. He talked a lot about the bunch sets and kind of the flood routes, things like that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give the prediction that I'm pretty sure Bo Allen's going to be the quarterback next year. I think they'll go through and have their competition and everything, but – We'll see who else they add in the transfer portal. That's something, too, I wanted to point out. And I, have, I don't know if we have any questions regarding it, but, like, Stoops had a comment on signing day after we recorded with Josh that I thought was interesting where he said they were still expecting a few in the coming days. Well, it's Friday at 3.15, and the high school signing period ends today until February. So if it's not going to be high school kids signing, and I seriously doubt it is at this point, it sounds like they're expecting some transfers in the next few days. So there are a few kids with connections in Kentucky that have been in the portal. Uh, Brian Hudson is the most notable one from uh, Scott County. I've not heard one way or the other. I, I heard a rumor last week that he wanted to go to UK. I've never heard that anywhere else. It was just one source. So take that for what it's worth. But uh, they certainly sounded like they were expecting some more kids to sign. So maybe it won't be Hudson. Maybe it'll be somebody else. But that's just something to keep an eye on as well. I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, there's there's a lot to follow right now with football. There's a lot of offers being extended. Obviously, it's a new approach on that side of the ball, yeah. Derek. A lot of new faces, and uh, we'll see exactly what comes of that. To, to sum it up, like I think, and I'm sure I would say this no matter who it was, but like I think they're both good hires for sure. They're both very – well, Liam's not very experienced, but he's been in a good system, whereas Wolford is – Wolford's very experienced, and I think I said like last month or two months ago that I figured he would be the guy just given the Stoops connections. Yeah, maybe we can get Liam on here. Maybe when we wrap up this podcast we'll yeah. see about – getting something scheduled it's getting close to christmas but we'll see what we can do yeah i think he'll probably come on here i think he would call on our shot yeah 
<laughs> but still waiting on Nick Richards whenever that eventually gets to some point. <laughs> but we'll see exactly what happens with that. But, Derek, this has been another successful mailbag episode. I think we're going to record something short to kind of preview Kentucky North Carolina, so we'll be looking for that. It won't be anything long. We're actually going to keep it to 15 minutes. We're not going to ramble because I think what we've realized is we could talk two hours about all the struggles with Kentucky basketball right now. Uh, but be on the lookout for that episode. This has been Mailbag Friday. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll see you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.